0: Are rank choice voting and multi-member districts an answer to hyperpartisanship and partisan extremism? In this episode, we talk with Rob Ritchie, who has been the leader of Fair Vote since co-founding it in 1992, and with Damon Moth's story, who was part of efforts to adopt rank choice voting and multi-member districts in the city of Portland, Oregon, in 2022. Welcome to Politics Is Everything, the podcast of the Center for Politics at the University of Virginia. I'm Kara Ong Whaley.
1: My name is Cameron Goldstead. Kara, thank you for having me on today. I am a currently an intern at the Center for Politics, and I am a fourth year majoring in history and foreign affairs.
0: Enjoy our conversation. Rob Ritchie, welcome to, welcome to Politics is Everything. We're so grateful uh, for your time today. And I wanted to start by asking if you could talk a little bit about the research behind ranked choice voting in multi-member districts. How might these reforms make our election system more representative and more democratic?
2: Well, thank you, Kara. Great to have a chance to talk. Uh, congratulations on your podcast and work. Um, and it is very timely to, to jump into this topic because we're seeing such an expansion of consideration of ranked voting. voting. Um, I would say it's fair to categorize it as the, the fastest-growing nonpartisan election reform in the country, and there's, I think, good reasons for that. The idea of multi-member districts is a, is a, has been very much baked into the history of American elections. There's some complications of how one talks about it, but it is something that has been used by almost every state at one point for congressional and/or state legislative elections, and um, including Virginia. and And it's um, really interesting, I think, to to think about them together, which is which is which has become our sort of north star reform about how to really give voters as much control over their ballot and uh, effect on their representation as possible. And I think one way to think about them both is that the voter is moving beyond a single choice dynamic where they only get to say something about one candidate to be able to say more about the candidates. So ranked choice ballot, you're getting to rank the candidates one, two, three, um, you don't have to, but you are you are able to express your preferences in a meaningful way, and the candidates know that. So it sort of changes the engagement incentives. And then uh, multi-member districts, you're you're voting for more than one person, um, and you are uh, being represented by more than one person. And so you're also sort of freeing yourself from just this sense of like I I have a, you know I can only do one thing on my ballot in this particular election, and that gives researchers a lot of uh, much richer uh, data to understand what voters are thinking, um, changes what, what what voters do. It does create um, changes in what the ballot looks like and what results look like. And all of these things create opportunities for researchers.
1: So, so Alaska has adopted um, right choice voting for its federal elections. Furthermore, as a result of the 2020 election, 2022 elections portland has become the largest city in the united states to use both ranked choice voting multi-member city council districts for it for its local for its general election furthermore in regards in regards to new york city they have used the um they've started using ranked choice voting for the democratic primary there which in a city like in a city like new york is at least is to, to an extent tantamount to the gen, to the general election where also these reforms underway, and what do we know about the their impact thus far?
2: Yeah, it's that's a good summary of some of the big uh, big adoptions we've seen. Maine also been using ranked choice voting for all its uh, federal and state primaries and um, general elections for federal office, and you know more than fifty cities have have been have used ranked choice voting in their most recent election. And um, going forward, it looks like it'll be more than sixty if, if all the ones that have adopted it just recently. Um, push forward with it to start using it. So it's still relatively new in, in, in a lot of those places. Um, so we are still, you know, doing more comprehensive reviews of impact. But there's a lot of fascinating things we're learning. So one is that I think from, say, the basic sense of can voters receive a new ballot design, a new ballot where they are offered this opportunity to rank candidates, can they do it? And we know they can, right? And, and, and we know that, you know, ballot design factors can affect that, but if you have a well-designed ballot and essentially, you know, straightforward voter instructions, and there's been a straightforward voter education effort that, that makes sure that people know that, you know, ranking a second choice has no impact on their first choice, those kinds of basic things. Um, people uh, cast valid ballots. It's usually over 99.5%. It can be as high as 99.9% of of people cast a valid ballot. And if it's a big election that matters to them, um, you know, usually about 90% of people will take advantage of this opportunity to rank, um, like in the New York City mayoral primary. Um, We're also seeing, you know, really... um, Indications of the increased engagement incentive that comes with ranked choice voting. So I'll give you one example: is that um, a number of the cities using ranked choice voting have some higher level election, like for governor, say, where they don't have ranked choice voting. So it's it's a down ballot race, the kind of ones that a certain certain number of voters just skip over because they're they're there to vote for governor and they they might skip over the the city council race, say. and. Um, but the number of people that are skipping over those down ballot ranked choice contests has been declining pretty sharply in, in a number of places. But a general decline, meaning that they have those who are already at the polls are, are more likely to have felt some reason to to vote in them. Um, the kind of plays into this like what what does it mean for people to, to decide to vote in the first place? and um, we're really encouraged by at least the anecdotal evidence about voter turnout. You know, a lot of the, the, the cities going to ranked choice voting have had um, upticks in turnout, but it's it's still something that, you know, some researchers are concerned it might have an adverse impact on turnout. Um, you know, but our, our perception is that the general impact is a positive one, but it so much depends on the, really the nature of the election, the nature of the candidates um, that I think is, is affected by whether you use ranked choice voting but isn't a guarantee either way that it makes it like a much more enticing election or a competitive one. So those fundamentals about why people vote still are the most, the most important about whether they feel it matters to them. Um, I'd say um, on representation, you're starting to see some really interesting impacts. Uh, There's a group called represent women that, that looks at uh, what factors affect women in elected office. And you look across the cities using ranked choice voting, you know, comes at a time where, Women are generally increasing their numbers in um, in in city council, mayoral offices, but it's been particularly pronounced in uh, in uh, uh, cities that use ranked choice voting. Um, Maine used went to ranked choice voting had a very contested seven way race for, for, for governor uh, in the primary, in the Democratic primary, and a woman won that and became the first woman governor of of, of Maine and, and just got reelected um, in New York City. Um, it was a fascinating first use of it in 2021 through that lens. Um, there's 51 city council seats and there were only five women who were returning as incumbents. So theoretically, you know, 46 men could have won and five women if, if only the incumbents won. But instead, women went from 13 seats overall to 31. So they went to the their healthy majority of the city council and mostly women under 40, mostly women of color. Mostly first-time candidates, and it was sort of a fascinating example of how ranked choice voting kind of created this welcoming environment for people to run, not to be told to wait their turn. Voters could look at more than one candidate um, running and 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 crowdsource an outcome, and you know, a fascinating opportunity to kind of someone to emerge. And I'll sort of conclude by saying that the Alaska congressional race this year was a great example of that too, where. You had a woman uh, who is 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 for certain going to be winning the the full two um, two year term, a woman named Mary Patola, who's the first Alaska uh, native to ever serve in uh, Congress from Alaska. Um, at the start of the year, very few people knew who Mary Patola was, um, and um, but there was this uh, open. Very open process uh, when there was a special election to, to fill a U.S. House seat after the incumbent died after 50 years in office, and and um, she emerged through the primary system, uh, finished fourth in this new model of how they do the elections there, got a lot more attention, ultimately won the special election, and then she's winning this this election, kind of going away, and and I think it's, you know, the kind of candidate who almost certainly never would have won and the other in in, in the um, previous system, she probably wouldn't have been nominated as as by, by the Democratic Party of, of which she's a member, but she was able to kind of emerge in the process. So I, I think we're seeing ranked voting kind of giving a lane for new voices and 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 new players in in, in our politics to have a fair chance and and an opportunity to win.
0: Rob, one of the challenges that our election system is facing is increasing contestation over election outcomes um, including up to outright denial of course um, I wonder how election audits or contested elections work with ranked choice voting
2: yeah every every change needs to be um, looked at through that lens I think it's very important um, <clears throat> there are some great resources on um, this topic there's a group called the ranked Choice Voting Resource Center which focuses on, Ranked choice voting elections through an election administration lens. Um, other authorities like uh, Amber McReynolds, who used to run elections in Denver and run Vote at Home, has been doing a lot of work around um, this question of like risk limiting audits and and how 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 best ranked trust voting can can be consistent with those. We know that ranked choice voting can work directly with a risk limiting audit. It's now been done uh, citywide in San Francisco. Um, some of the Democratic primaries that ran ranked choice voting and presidential primaries in 2020 um, had a risk limiting audit with it. So it, it takes some new procedures, but it, it definitely can be done. We would say should be done. Um, and um, you just have to be attentive to, you know, the procedures being um adapted to voters providing this additional information. That's one thing, right? So you have a ballot that where voters aren't just doing a single tick on the, the ballot. They're, they're providing more information. So, so you have to kind of come up with, with procedures to handle that. And when you are, say, doing an election across multiple jurisdictions, multiple counties, you know, the best way to consolidate the election data, because with a ranked choice election, you are creating like precinct summable data sets that are very... Uh, that's all you really need to be able to do the RCV result. But you also do need to have those data sets combined and to, to run the algorithm. So maybe just to make sure everyone knows what a ranked choice voting algorithm is. In a ranked choice voting election, the voters have been able to rank the candidates on the ballot. Um, you add up all their first choices only. That's the, you know, Your ballot is never counts for more than one candidate at a time in such a race. Your ballot goes all in for your first choice. If someone wins more than half the votes, in the first choices, then they've already won. If not, then the candidate who trails the field is in last place. That candidate is eliminated from the contest. Their ballots are examined and added to whoever's ranked second, and are added to the totals of everyone else. You rinse and repeat that process until someone has more than half the votes. And so, you do need to have the full set of data to be able to to run a ranked choice election, and you just need procedures consistent with that need.
1: Can current voting equipment accommodate such a system? If not, what does impl- implementation look like?
2: Yeah, every every voting equipment really has been able to do this for years and years. That doesn't mean it's it's <laughs> uh, able to just flip the switch and, and, and make it done. We have a very um, challenging election administration regime, I think, as far as flexibility to Adapt to changes. So we have a certification process that is relatively rigid. Um, it's also, you know, there, there's differences across the states. And if you're a for-profit company providing those services, and that's how we do it, we have essentially a bunch of for-profit companies that are offering their voting equipment. They're they're trying to maximize profit, and they're dealing with sort of a regulatory regime that is is relatively uh, complex. And and so you you make a change and you have to get your new system certified and you really only want to do it once, right? You, you don't want to have to keep getting your system certified. So ranked choice voting can have really minor little differences. Like for instance, how do you handle a skip ranking? Let's say a voter, um, ranks five candidates, but goes from first and then goes to a third choice, fourth choice, you know, fifth choice, sixth choice, something like that. And they didn't mark a second choice. So you say, well, okay, they only skipped a ranking. That probably was just a mistake. Um let's let's just pretend that their third choice is is their second choice. And and that's a very reasonable decision. That's actually in the statute in a number of places. But you also could have a, a a procedure where hey, if someone skips a ranking, we don't know what they really intended, you just stop counting the ballot, and that's something that some places do also. So you can that little difference means that the you know, that the tallying program, you know, uh could is it certified to do both or just one of them? So that little kind of those little details kept a lot of the companies from getting their systems certified. Um, and we've sort of moved our way through that. It was a very much of a catch 22 over the 30 years that I've worked on this. You know, ranked voting has been um, a persuasive policy alternative for many, many years. And then you'd get a place saying, okay, let's do it. And, uh, but it looks like we don't have equipment that's yet certified to do it, let's hold. And, you know, so you had to just sort of plow through and ultimately just get your wins anyway, and sort of force the hand of the jurisdictions and companies to get their systems ready to run ranked risk voting. That was painful and (laughs) took took a while and led to some relatively, um, you know, work around ways of implementing RCV. We're now at a point where it is, uh, all the big vendors are either offering ranked choice voting on their equipment or are able to, and we're really close to essentially saying, yes, you can pass ranked choice voting and you know you can implement it. We're not all the way there, but we're very close.
0: Rob Ritchie, thank you so much for joining us on Politics is Everything. I want to ask you one other question. You mentioned the importance of making sure um, that voters are educated about the system. In your decades experience now, what do you think are the best means for educating voters um, and, and also ensuring that reforms that are more representative and democratic take hold?
2: Yeah, I would say the very... Uh, central important need is a well-designed ballot with clear ballot instructions. That gets you almost all the way there. So if you don't do anything else, you will almost certainly have uh, the great, great majority of voters cast a valid ballot. And with, if they have a preference, go ahead and indicate you know their, their second and third choice. The thing you do want <clears throat> to do as well, though, is to make people feel comfortable and relaxed about doing it. So if, if you haven't done any education. And you get, you come in, you see a ranked choice ballot. The voter doesn't know what those rankings going to mean, right? Is it a point system? Am, am I giving, you know, five? Excuse me. <clears throat> I don't know why my voice is a little <clears throat> uh, rumbling today. <clears throat> okay, I'll start over again. Um, is it a point system? You know, is is it five points for your first choice and three points for your second choice and one for your third choice, the way it is for say the Heisman Trophy? Is it? Um, maybe you're going to add up all the first choices and then if no one gets a majority, you know, put in all the second choices in including yours while your first choice still counts. Right. 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 So if you don't really quite understand how your rankings are, are going to work, it might affect your strategy or it might affect your vulnerability to someone misleading you and telling you, Oh, you should only rank one person because if you rank someone second, it's going to hurt you or something like that. So, so you, you can uh, need to do, I think there's great value of, of, of introducing ranked choice voting in a more holistic way and helping you know, all the players who who talk about it you know, to be well informed about it. That includes the candidates. It's really important to have the candidates themselves and anyone who's you know, playing directly in the election to, to understand the system and not be a source of, of misinformation, to work with journalists, to show the results sensibly, and that is still... Uh, an area of improvement for our, for our reform work that I think you really ideally would go to results, see a clear way of showing them. So you say, oh, I understand why this close election went the way it did. Cause of course people feel, um, you know, very, uh, um, uh, wary of the other side winning sometimes in these big, you know, <clears throat> big congressional elections. And I think that, um, you, you want to reassure them with a clear uh, a, a clear way of explaining a, a close outcome and there are uh, there's a, w- a website by the way RCBVIS, rcvvis that does a really nice job of kind of showing showing a model of how to do ranked choice voting but um, anyway those those are all key 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 factors but we are very reassured that when you do the the basic elements voters handle the ballot well. And that's, that's key. And I think what we're also seeing is that working with policymakers and charter commissions, that when they have a problem to solve and that ranked choice voting speaks to that problem, they can understand it and appreciate its virtues and move it legislatively. And let's say, you know, we're now up to more than 60 cities that have um, adopted ranked choice voting or just recently passed it. And all but two of those cities went through either a charter commission or the city council or county council directly, meaning that you know, in kind of invested players in that that jurisdiction's politics, looked at it, thought about it, evaluated alternatives, advanced it to the voters, or 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 just passed it, and I think that um, that that's a sign of its its opportunity to scale because I think we're we're going to see more and more um, state and we ultimately believe congressional uses um, or or. Action on on this reform, and it's because it, it works. It solves problems, and uh, you know voters ultimately like it. Thank you. Thank you, Kara, and uh, appreciate the the chance to to dive into this.
0: Damon, thank you so much for joining us on Politics is Everything. Um, I wonder if you can just start by talking a little bit about how Measure 26228 came about in Portland uh, and and what is in this measure.
3: Measure 26228 is the culmination of 18 months of research and public engagement work performed by the Portland Charter Review Commission. So the charter is like our city's constitution. It's our foundational document. It spells out how our elections and government structure uh, are run. And uh, we are we were up for a 10-year review of our charter, which is uh, a process that uh, uh, is very inclusive and democratic. Uh, 20 people are appointed by our city council to take a close look at our city charter and say, what needs to be updated about it? What needs to be changed? Um, and so that 20... That latest group of 20 people came together in December of 2020 and then worked for 18 months to uh, do global worldwide research into the best forms of democracy and structures of government and talked with thousands of different Portlanders from every walk of life uh, to see what kinds of problems people were encountering with their form of government and with their election systems and what could be solved. And what we found was that our government was not really working very well for just about anybody. Uh, And we had reelected our mayor in 2020 with a runoff vote where he got less than 50% of the vote and was reelected. And so people were feeling unhappy and could clearly see that our systems were not working to deliver services and election results that were empowering and meeting people's needs. Uh, And so uh, at the culmination of that 18-month process, 17 out of the 20 Charter Review Commissioners referred the measure directly to voters, Uh, and then we just had a months-long campaign where we got the word out to voters, and uh, the latest ballot totals show that 58% of Portland voters approved this measure. Uh, that'll bring ranked choice voting, multi-member city council districts, and a professional city administrator to run city services and bureaus.
0: Um, So you mentioned that this was, you know, that this started in December 2020, but I wonder if you can also talk a little bit about uh, the coalition of organizations that work together to pass the measure.
3: Sure, I'd be happy to. So I work with Building Power for Communities of Color, which is a 501c4 political nonprofit, and it's the political wing of the Coalition of Communities of Color, which is an alliance of 18 culturally specific uh, organizations in the Portland area. And so um, our groups have been working on reforming democracy and improving communities of color's access to government services for over two decades. And we have worked on a wide range of different initiatives at the ballot box, including... Uh, the landmark Portland Clean Energy Fund in 2018, um, and a wide range of other issues, um, such as supporting the Student Success Act in Oregon in 2019, and the 100% 100 clean electricity standard in 2021 in the Oregon legislature. Um, So there have been a wide range of different groups that have worked together uh, towards outcomes that improve access and representation for communities of color, Uh, for many, many years, and um, once the Charter Review Commission had their uh, recommendations finalized and had heard from uh, Portlanders about what they wanted in the measure, we switched into campaign mode and uh, assembled a coalition of over 100 civic institutions, labor unions, neighborhood groups, uh, small business owners, and political science experts um, all came together in support of Measure 26228 because they could see how this was going to fundamentally change our system and make it more fair for women communities of color working class folks people with disabilities immigrants and refugees basically everyone who has been underrepresented in our current city hall system uh, and is going to really benefit from this increased voice and increased access uh, in city hall and so um, so much of this has been about correcting generations of inequities uh, and making it possible for everyone to have a fair shot at a seat at the table.
0: I wonder if you can talk about what other movements for democracy reform might learn from your organizing efforts.
3: Yeah, that's a really great question. So I think one of the really key things is um, it's so important for uh, groups to work in partnership with each other. And I think there's a lot of uh, fantastic, wonderful democracy advocates nationwide who get very excited about the idea of a local initiative in a different part of in some part of the country but if there isn't somebody locally who's excited about that initiative it's not going to work uh we see this uh sometimes referred to as parachuting right sometimes groups will parachute into a community and hire signature gatherers or uh uh, paid canvassers to um push for an initiative but uh voters especially in places in the west like in oregon Uh, have a really good indicator and sensor for something that's nonsense and something that's not uh, locally supported by the community groups and institutions that they know and trust. Uh, So the thing that worked so well in Portland for this measure is that um, we had a local democratic process for reviewing our city charter, its founding document, and we worked collaboratively Uh, in a coalition to make sure that uh, community voices that are not often heard in those public input processes uh, can be, were heard in this particular process, um, including people experiencing homelessness uh, and immigrants and refugees whose uh, first language is not English, uh, all had input in this process. And so it was truly a ground up widespread process to build this measure uh, and use it to respond to the problems and struggles that Portlanders are experiencing, um, as opposed to, you know, sort of a top-down approach where, you know, somebody comes to a community and says, I think this system will will make your city work better and you should use it. This was really about uh, communities from every walk of life in Portland coming together and saying our system isn't working, we need to look for alternatives that are going to serve us better and give everyone a voice. Uh, And then that meant that uh, really natural organic partnerships started to develop between uh, local groups like the Coalition of Communities of Color uh, and national groups that have been researching things like ranked choice voting in multi-winner districts uh, for many, many decades, right? So that meant that uh, the experts and the local community members we're coming together, including with local experts and you know political scientists at the Portland area universities, for example. Um, we're all teaming up to advance a common cause uh, that we knew was going to increase uh, voter participation and engagement. And create avenues for people to engage with City Hall productively and get their problems solved.
0: So, now that the measure, now that Measure 26228 has passed, what does implementation look like and what do you hope is going to be achieved in terms of outcomes?
3: Yeah, great question. So, implementation has already begun. It's a tight timeline. Uh, In November of 2024, just two years away, we will be using our first election using the new ranked choice system to elect uh, 12 city council members, three from four different districts each. uh, And we'll use that using uh, proportional ranked choice voting. Uh, And so that's very exciting. It's also a very fast timeline. So right away, the city of Portland is already accepting applications for its new district commission. So this will draw the boundary lines of the four different city council districts. And so they're recruiting 13 community members uh, who will be uh, approved by the mayor and city council to serve in 2023 on this commission to figure out where those dividing lines are going to be. So those districts need to be compact and contiguous, Uh, they need to be equal in population size, and they must not dilute the voting strength of linguistic and ethnic minority groups. Um, and they cannot divide communities of interest. So the same rules that apply to stopping gerrymandering at a state legislative or congressional level apply to the districting process for our new city council districts. So that's a very important body of work. There will also be a salary commission that will set the compensation levels and structures for our new city councilors. Our old system is five city council members. Who are all elected citywide, and they all directly oversee bureaus and city services. Uh, we're moving away from that to twelve city councilors who can focus just on policy making and working together to solve higher-level problems with uh, their constituents. So that naturally means that we can kind of uh, we we don't have to pay them for the uh, uh, role of directly overseeing city bureaus, um, and they can also share up uh, resources on certain things like constituent services because three city council members will uh, be sharing one district with each other. So there will be some nice efficiencies that come from that. Uh, So those are some of the nuts and bolts and nitty gritties of the implementation process. Uh, There's all sorts of other things that are going to need to be figured out as well, such as the hiring of our first city administrator and uh, working with our elections departments to figure out, um, you know, what kinds of systems they're going to be using to count and tabulate the ranked choice ballots uh, thankfully, we have a lot of good examples to look to. Cambridge, Massachusetts has been doing this since the early uh, 20th century, and there's uh, worldwide many cities uh, in places like Scotland, Ireland, Australia, and New Zealand that have been using this multi-winner rank choice system for a long time. So we have lots of different options to choose from in terms of the actual system that will deliver uh, this voting system. Uh, and I'm very optimistic that this two-year timeline is going to run very smoothly because We've already had essentially two years of getting ready for it as the Charter Commission has built this measure. The city of Portland has been getting ready for the possibility of voters approving this measure uh, and doing its research around uh, figuring out what sorts of um, tools need to be in place for this transition to occur. So it's going to be a fast timeline, but it's also so exciting because, um, you know, there's no time to waste. Portlanders have been waiting for a long time for a... Uh, government and democracy that works better for everyone, and so people are really eager to get started with this new system.
0: So I have one final question for you, Damon. Uh, Thank you so much for, for taking the time to talk with us and share this exciting news coming out of Portland. I wonder, you know, just looking ahead, and and perhaps based on the, the the many many conversations, thousands of conversations that you've had with voters, um, and and residents in Portland, one of the concerns about ranked choice voting, um, has been that you know it's it's too confusing and it might be too hard to learn. You know, what are your sense of barriers or obstacles to uh, teaching and learning how to use ranked choice voting?
3: Yeah, that's really a great question. So. Um, you know, looking to one of our Pacific Northwest neighbors in Alaska, it's really encouraging to see that when they swapped to doing ranked choice voting for their statewide elections for Congress and Senate and things like that, when they had their special election to where they elected Mary Peltola, first Alaska native in Congress, mm-hmm. they did um, exit polling to ask voters how simple and easy the process was. And over 80% of Alaskan voters said that they found the, the process to be simple and straightforward, and I think Portlanders are going to find the same thing to be true here. People just like ranked choice voting better because they feel like they don't have to make, uh, you know, sort of lesser of two evil kinds of choices on their ballot. Um, and whether one person wins or three person three people win in uh, a ranked choice voting election, the ballot still looks the same for voters. And so we're going to be really emphasizing that. Yes, it's going to be a little bit of a complicated process to. Um, you tabulate uh, the votes for those three winners in a city council district, but voters can rest assured that they all they have to do is rank their candidates in order of preference and show their full preferences on the ballot. And I think folks are going to be really happy with what they see uh, the results are going to be. One of our local newspapers uh, recently did a sort of a, an experiment with uh, characters from Mother Goose fairy tales. Uh, and they ran a bunch of ranked choice voting t- style elections for those characters, and they found that pretty much every time uh, a voter was going to get one of their favorite choices elected. Um, and so that's really the the sort of the core backbone of this pr- of this process and this system. And the reason why it works so well is that you've got basically a system that guarantees. or more of a city council district is going to feel represented by at least one of their three representatives on the city council. So these are the kinds of things that we're gonna be telling to Portland voters. We already have been able to do a lot of voter education in the course of the campaign, but we couldn't reach everyone. And it is really important for us to build a strong understanding of this system with folks. And so we're gonna be using all kinds of different tools and uh, mechanisms and storytelling techniques to get the word out in different ways to different communities in different languages, too, so that everyone has a good understanding of what the system is, why we're using it, and why it gives people of color, women, working class people, more voice and more choice and better representation in City Hall.
0: Well, Damon, thank you so much. We look forward to watching as, as you move into the implementation phase and also seeing some of those resources, which I'm sure are going to be useful to other communities looking to adopt ranked choice voting.
3: Thank you so much. It's been such a delight to be a part of this show. And thank you for talking with me.
0: Hi, podcast listeners. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Politics is Everything. Editing and production was done by me. Our theme song is Let's Boogie by Chris Fays. Learn more about the Center for Politics and its work to strengthen democracy on our website at centerforpolitics.org. Be sure to also follow us on Twitter at center number four politics. You can also send us a recording of your questions or ideas for strengthening democracy to virginia.edu. Until next time.